Welcome to the Christian Life Austin Sunday morning message. Today we celebrate the Thanksgiving season with a standalone message entitled Remember the Taste. Today, Lead Pastor Rex Johnson brings us a passage from Psalms 42. And now, with today's message, here's Lead Pastor Rex Johnson. I'm going to speak somewhat different today than perhaps I have been ministering. I, I'm, going to, I'm going to talk to you today on this subject and stand alone. I'm going to call it Remember the Taste. Remember the Taste. Anybody ever remember how mama's meatloaf tasted? Or mama's roast on Sunday? Anybody remember a special cook that you had in your life? And if it's not your wife, don't shake your head yes. <laughs> Anybody remember those days when you just said, wow, if I could have some of that gravy, some of that, some of her cat head biscuits, if I could, <laughs> I got some help in this congregation today. It's an awesome thing to remember taste. Taste, when you taste particular things and you taste something similar to it, it takes you back a long way. And I think that's what Thanksgiving's all about. I think it's remembering the taste of what this is all about in our life. And so we're going to talk to you about it today. Psalms chapter 42 says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Not where, but when. My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throne. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior, my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, will I remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. My text today, Psalms 42, my title today, Remember the Taste. Clap your hands real big and you may be seated in the name of the Lord. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. I want to preach today. Years ago, in an old stodgy community, a new doctor came to town. It was said that that new doctor could cure anything and anybody, and everyone was amazed with what he could do. Everyone except old Mr. Sweeney. He was the town skeptic. And one day old Sweeney went to see the miracle doctor to prove he wasn't anybody special. And he went and told the doctor, hey doc, I've lost my sense of taste. I can't taste anything. Can you help me? And the doctor scratched his head, mumbled to himself and told Mr. Sweeney, what you need, sir, is jar number 47. And so he reached up and took the jar of medicine, brought it down and said, Mr. Sweeney, dip your finger in this and put it in your mouth. And immediately Sweeney spit it out. He said, this is gross. He yelled, well, Mr. Sweeney, said the doctor, I believe I just restored your sense of taste. <laughs> Angrily, Mr. Sweeney, the old skeptic, went home and he fumed about his failure. But three months later, thinking the doc may have forgotten his visit, he believed he had a solution to his problem and went back to the same doctor. Doc, he said, I, I've been having problems with my memory. 
I can't seem to remember anything anymore. Mr. Sweeney was pleased with himself. He just knew he had finally stumped this new doctor. And he waited as the doctor scratched his head, mumbled to himself a little. Finally, the doctor went over to the shelf and with his medicines on it, he said loud, Mr. Sweeney, I believe what you need is jar number 47. And when the doc turned around, Mr. Sweeney was no longer there. He remembered. The doc cured Mr. Sweeney's taste problem and memory problem. Sweeney didn't really suffer from taste or memory problems, though. His problem lay much deeper than that. But whatever problem he had, that day he got his healing. What healed Mr. Sweeney was the memory of how something tasted. God's word teaches us that one of the best ways to fix things that are wrong in our lives and to heal the wounds of our soul is to remember certain things in our life. And I think this time of the year we need to start remembering. Anybody ever been healed? You remember? Anybody ever known joy in your life? You remember that day? Anybody remember the night that the Lord saved you? Anybody remember the day you took the plunge in water baptism? Anybody remember the time when the doctor said you wasn't going to make it and here you are today? Anybody remember those days? That's what Thanksgiving's all about. Scholars believe that in Psalms 42, it was written by David in one of the darkest times of his life. See, years before this, David had made a bad choice. He had committed adultery with a woman named Bathsheba. As a result, he ruined her marriage and seriously damaged his own family. And 13 major tragedies followed because of his sin. Now, because of that sin, he lost his home. He lost his prestige. His son Absalom had turned against him and run him out of Jerusalem. And now he's hiding in the wilderness. And he's come to a crossroads in his life. And he has a choice to make. How's he going to respond to this tragedy? And the choice David made is intriguing because it's not the kind of choice a lot of people make. I want to stop right here and say we are living in a tragic world right now. And I think it would be very right in our hearts and our mind to lift one hand toward the Lord right now and say, God, help our world. Would you do that right now? God, help our world. Now pray another prayer. Say, God, bless America. Say, God, bless Texas. Say, God, bless Austin. And say, God, bless the church. See, a lot of people respond to the tragedies of their life by becoming angry at God. I talk about people that perhaps are outside the fold. That's my first point. A lot of people respond to the tragedy of their life by becoming angry at God. They lash out at Him. They deny His existence. They see God as somehow responsible for the hardship and pain that they experience. In David's case, that was true. He had sinned, and sin has its consequences, and God was bringing a punishment upon him because of it. However, many people who suffer are not being punished by God. Many people who suffer somehow view God as being to blame for the torment even though God's not to blame. And because they blame God, they feel a need to hurt God, much like Mr. Sweeney tried to hurt the miracle doctor by his unbelief. They become bitter. They become angry people. They become hurling insults into heaven and forever attempting to hurt God by denying He exists or discrediting His power. They cast away their faith thinking that this will help in some way to make up for their pain. It does not need to happen in times like this. If there's ever a time that we need to stop blaming God and hurling accusations at God, it's right now. This is a time to be grateful for what God has done. 
You were here last Thanksgiving. You're here alive this Thanksgiving. That deserves a hand clap of appreciation. God is still with you and working in your life. Shortly after the death of his wife, an old preacher man preached a sermon like this. He said, I don't understand this life of ours. But still less can I comprehend how people in trouble and loss and bereavement can fling peevishly their Christian faith away. He said, in God's name, fling it to what? Have we not lost enough without losing this also? You people in the sunshine, he said, may believe in the faith. But people in the shadows must believe it. We have nothing else to believe but believe in God. Many people turn against God in their darkest hour. And I want you to know something. This is not abnormal response to pain and tragedy. In fact, let me say, experts tell us that one of the major stages of grief is anger toward God. And if there are people in this house today that are anger toward God, I don't think God is particularly offended by this because he's a big God. He has big shoulders, and he does love us deeply. In fact, if you are angry at him today, God still loves you in your anger. He loves you when you're happy. He loves you when you're sad. The God I'm preaching about is on the throne, and he does all things well. If anger and bitterness continue for any great length of time, it will hurt us. and It will separate us from the love of God and his mercy and his healing. The second thing. These are more people that are outside God. These are people I'm going to talk about that are inside God. Many people dwell on their sin that brought them to this point in their life. They dwell on it. A lot of people do this. They seem to sense that if God is punishing them, they might as well pile on too. So they drudge up any past sin or any indiscretion that they can think of. That doesn't seem to be logical, but it does happen. Dr. Paul Brand is a man that I read after for several years, and he worked with lepers in India. He, he worked in leprosariums, this Hansen disease or leprosy. In an interview, he was asked to give examples of people who had undergone this tremendous suffering of leprosy. And after he cited some examples in detail, he was asked whether their suffering had turned them toward God or turned them away from God. You got to listen now. You got to listen. He hesitated. Then he said that there was no common reaction. Some, he said, grew closer to God and others bitterly drifted away from God when tragedy and situation came in their life. But the difference, he said, was based on their attitude toward cause and toward response. Stay with me. Those who kept looking back and asking, why did this happen? What did I do to deserve this? Why am I being punished? Where is the justice in life? These were usually the ones who bitterly turn away from God and resign themselves to fatalistic despair. But he said the sufferers, oh, I love this, who grew closer to God in their suffering were those who could put the question of cause behind them and focus on their response to God who was still with them and before them. They are the ones who could say to themselves, okay, this suffering is terrible and it hurts and it isn't fair. There's no justice, okay? I had a little lady last week in church walk up to me and gave me one of the most beautiful notes I've ever received in my life. She had handwritten it. She said, it's not what we go through, but it's how we act when we're going through what we're going through. 
I want to declare something. I can look ahead today. I can understand something today that many of you have had tragedies in your life. I buried a tragic situation last Sunday. I buried a tragedy a couple of months ago. There's been tragedies in our church and tragedies outside our church. And when you look at Paris and when you look at Moli down in Africa and when you look at all these things that's happening around our world, we're saying, where is God? What's God doing? Why ain't God stepping up? Here's what I want to tell you. God is still God. He is the God of the morning. He is the God of the evening. He's the God of nighttime. And you can wake up in the morning and say, my God reigns. My God reigns. It's not what you go through that matters. It's how you act when you're going through what you go through. Somebody help me preach right now. Dr. Brand said the last group of people didn't surrender to their pain. They didn't allow themselves to be consumed with guilt, despair. They faced this terrible Hansen's disease, this leprosy, with courage and with strength that the other group didn't have. You know why? Because they, instead of focusing on why they were suffering, they focused on the God who could help them in their suffering. And they built their lives around God. They clung to God. Randy led our praise and worship today. Randy has a wife at home that is very, very sick. And Randy could have called in and said, Pastor, I can't show up. But he called yesterday and said, Pastor, I can't wait till tomorrow. Because there's something about being in the house of God. There's something about worshiping the God of glory. Yes, Sherry's going to be all right in the end. But I promise you that God is still with us. Even though his wife is hurting and she's suffering today, God is with us right now. you got to look at this and say, not what I did, but the God that I serve, what he can do while I'm going through, while I'm going through it. Say amen to that. Now I want you to notice how David responds to his suffering. He's not angry at God. He's not dwelling on what has caused this tragedy in his life. Instead, notice what he does. Psalms 42 and 6. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore will I remember you. Everybody say remember God. From the land of the Jordan to the heights of Hermon to Mount Mazar. David said in essence, I've lost my home. I've lost my prestige. I've lost my security. I've lost my family. My family life has fallen apart, but I want to be healed of this pain in my life. I'm talking to somebody today. I want the great physician to make me well. And I want him to restore me to health. And so I'm going to seek him out. And so he says, like a deer pants for the water, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, verse 2, for the living God. When can I go meet this God? I know where, but just tell me when. Verse 4, he said, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. I used to go with the multitude leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throne. Here's David's recipe for healing. David remembers the taste of Almighty God. When he was in a hole one time, he said, oh, if I could just have a drink from the wells of Bethlehem. You know why he remembered that? Because it tasted different than any other water that he had ever tasted. And he knew that God could restore that well to him. He remembered going to church. He remembered the way he felt when he worshiped God. He remembered the joy and excitement of being in the presence of other worshipers. Many pastors, many pastors like to think that preaching is the highlight of worship. I hate to tell you this. I'm not eagle maniacal. It's not. I think I do a decent job. 
preaching services is uh, preaching serves its purpose in worship. Preaching helps us focus on God's will in our lives. But you can turn on the radio or TV and get some pretty good preaching. As valuable as preaching is to worship, our real purpose here is to taste God. Turn to your neighbor and said, "Have you tasted the Lord today? Come on, have you tasted the Lord today?" Did music bring you into worship? When we sing our courses, we feel his presence. I see some of you hopping. I see it. When we pray our prayers, we usher to the throne. When we have fellowship, we're walking with the redeemed. And when we take communion, we're eating in his presence. Each and every aspect of worship is like an individual servant of a grand dinner. And each part helps us catch a different flavor of God. Can I tell you, there is no place like the house of Almighty God. There is no place like the house of God. That's why David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. You have chosen wisely today. I read once of a letter to the editor of a newspaper where someone complained that it made no sense to go to church every Sunday. I hope you didn't read that paper person wrote, I've gone for 30 years now and I've heard some, some 3,000 sermons. And for the life of me, I can't remember a single one of them. So I think I'm wasting my time and the pastors are wasting theirs by giving sermons at all. Oh God. That started a real controversy with the letters to the editor column, much to the delight of the editor of the paper. And it went for weeks until someone wrote this clincher. I've been married for 30 years now to the same woman. And in that time, my wife has cooked some 32,000 meals. And for the life of me, I can't recall the menu for a single one of those meals. But I do know this. They all nourished me and gave me strength I needed to do my work. And if my wife had not given me those meals, I'd be dead today. Come on, somebody needs to get a taste. Come on, get a taste. Get a taste. Nobody. David said in the Psalms, I'm in a tough place in the midst of one of the most difficult times in my life. But he remembers the times when he tasted of God and that memory sustained him and it nourished him and it gave him the strength he needed to survive. Dr. Charles Stanley is pastor of the First Baptist Church in Atlanta. His son, Andy, is one of the premier young ministers of our land. And Dr. Charles Stanley one day was called to go have lunch with a particular person. And he said it wasn't, it wasn't a, the chairman of the board and it wasn't some Fortune 500 company president. It was an old lady, 85 years old, that wanted me to come to her house for dinner. And he said, I went because she was a soul sister in the church. I went and had dinner with her. And said, I was going through the pains of my life. He said, I was preaching in hell. He said, there was a lot of uprising and upheaval. And there was a lot of stuff going on. And he said, I felt like I might have to leave the church. But he said, she invited me to dinner and said, when dinner was over, she took me in the living room and said, now, Dr. Stanley, I want you to sit down here. I want you to sit down. I want to do something right now. And she pulled this out. She pulled this picture out. She pulled this picture of Daniel in the lion's den out. And she said, Dr. Stanley, I want, you to, I want you to look at that picture. 
And I want you to study it real good. And Dr. Stanley started crying. Because that was his life. He was preaching in a den of lions. And she said, you see those bones? He said, I see those bones. He said, you see those lions? He said, I see those lions. She said, what else do you see in that picture? He said, well, I see it's pretty dark in there against that wall. And I see there's a lot of hungry lions in there. And he counted them up and there was enough lions to eat him up. She said, Dr. Stanley, you had not seen what you need to see yet. He said, well, tell me what I need to see, Grandma. She said, that's why I brought you over here. I want you to notice the lions are looking at Daniel, but Daniel's looking at his God. Can I tell you? The picture of the church is Daniel in the lion's den and the tragedy that's happening in our world. We've got to lift up our gaze. We can't look around. Oh, somebody help me preach right now. We can't look around us. We can't look on every side and say, oh my God, ISIS. Oh my God, Korea. Oh my God, China, Russia. No, we got to look unto Jesus. The author and the finisher of our faith. Leave it up. There's a flavor in that picture that the world has never tasted. The world wants us to see the bones of those that's been destroyed and see the lions encircling us. But what they don't understand is Daniel didn't have his hands in front trying to hold them off. He had his hands behind him looking unto God Almighty. And that's what we do every Sunday at Christian Life Church. Pagans never experienced that. But if they ever did, it would change them. Psalms 34 and 8 said, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. I'm not going to get in so big a hurry. I can't do that. Every Thanksgiving, I get up on the Sunday before and I give him praise that he doesn't get any other time of the year. Oh, I praise him, but there's something special about now. Because I wasn't supposed to be here. I wasn't supposed to be in this place. But God has let me be here. And I praise him today. And I love him today. Because he allowed me to be here. He didn't take my life when I was a baby. I didn't get my ministry destroyed when I went through hell. I didn't die when my brother said I can't take it anymore. I didn't crumble when mom and dad went to the grave. It didn't, it didn't put me down. It just made me strong because I had a taste. I had a taste of the Lord. And when you taste that special sauce that he has in your life, you have to come back and get some more and some more and some more and some more. Oh, taste and see. Every year, Randy, if you'll help me, every year at the Liberal University Chicago School Divinity School, 
It's a liberal school of higher education. There's a picnic lunch held outdoors in a grassy area. And every year, the school invites a special theological giant to come and lecture to the students and the faculty while they eat every year. And one year they invited a man named Dr. Paul Tillich. If you're kin to him, I'm sorry. He spoke for nearly two and a half hours proving that the resurrection of Jesus was really false. It's, he quoted scholar after scholar and book after book. Until it's concluded that since there was no such thing as a historical resurrection, the religious tradition of the church was groundless emotional mumbo-jumbo, he called it. Because it was based on a relationship with the risen Jesus, who in fact, he said, never rose from the dead in any literal sense. He then asked if there were any questions. And after 30 seconds, an old, dark-skinned preacher with a head of short-cropped white hair, stood up in the back of the auditorium and he said, Dr. Tillich, I got one question. And all eyes turned toward him. And he reached in his sack lunch and pulled out an apple. I wished I had one right now because I'm a little hungry. <laughs> and he began eating that apple. And he said, Dr. Tillich, My question is a simple question. Now, I ain't never read them books you read. And I can't recite scriptures in the original Greek. And I don't know nothing about Niebuhr and Heidegger. He finished the apple. All I want to know is this, Dr. Tillage. This apple I just ate, was it bitter or was it sweet? And Dr. Tillich paused for a moment and answered the exemplary scholarly fashion. He said, I cannot possibly answer that question for I haven't tasted your apple. And the old white-haired preacher dropped the core of the apple in his crumpled paper bag, looked up at Dr. Tillich and said calmly, neither, sir, have you ever tasted my Jesus. <laughs> Woo! There were over a thousand people in attendance that day, and they all erupted in applause and cheers. Dr. Tillich thanked the audience and promptly left the platform. He never was invited back. It's that taste, that taste of Jesus that makes all the difference in the world. Anybody ever had a taste of Jesus in your life? I want you to get up Thursday morning. I want you to get up Thursday morning and I want you to I want you to take your family to the throne of praise. I want you to lift up your hands in your own house. Have a little church. And I want you to say, Lord, we're going to eat some pretty good turkey today. 
but we're going to praise the lamb while we eat our turkey. Because there's nothing that tastes like the Lord in our life. Everything else dulls. Everything else makes your mouth get dull. But Jesus is the sweetest name I know. And if you ever taste Jesus, you'll always want to come back for some more. Amen. And so this Thanksgiving season, we're going to magnify him. Would you stand all over the building right now? Would you stand? We're going to do something real special today. We're going to have family prayer. So I want you to lock on with your wife, your, your brother, your sister, your significant other, your boyfriend, your girlfriend. And that concludes today's message. Please visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, to register for an upcoming event, or to support the Christian Life Ministry through our online giving portal. Thank you for listening.